This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It is BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Good afternoon. On the 8th of November, global advisory firm uh, BDO PLT released the ASEAN Corporate Fraud Landscape 2023 report. This publication provided a uh, detailed analysis of the current fraud landscape in the region. It's based on a survey conducted in the first half of 2023 and includes input from a wide range of respondents across the region. The report focuses on fraud detection, the impact of fraud, root causes, remediation and expected trends in fraud. It also highlights the presence of whistleblowing mechanisms and their effectiveness in identifying and preventing fraud. This report release coincided with the International Fraud Awareness Week, which is an annual event observed globally in the third week of November, organised by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners to raise awareness on fraud. It aims to encourage business leaders and employees to proactively take steps to minimise the impact of fraud. And coincidentally, tomorrow, the 9th of December, is also the International Anti-Corruption Day, commemorated annually since the passage of the UN Convention Against Corruption, UNCAC, on the 31st of October 2003, to raise public awareness for anti-corruption. Now, corruption is closely associated with fraud in the context of corporate fraud and is one of the key elements of fraud experienced by organisations. So, some key points. 20% of respondents reported their organisation being a victim of fraud in the past 12 months. 52% of respondents believe their organisations are prepared to prevent, detect and deter fraud. 57% of fraud cases identified involved losses under 1 million US dollars, a notable increase from previous years. And only 12% actively employ data analytics mechanisms for fraud detection. 53% of respondents have a formal whistleblower mechanism in place with the majority being operated internally. 60% of respondents with whistleblowing channels indicated that frauds were identified through reporting, compared to only 25% in organisations without such channels. The presence of whistleblowing mechanisms contributes to the quicker identification of fraud and allows for a better containment of loss. Respondents with whistleblowing channels in place were more aware of fraud events and dealt with them more quickly, with 58% of events lasting less than 12 months. Now, if you've got any thoughts on uh, on this, you can WhatsApp us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. It is 018-789-8899. You can also get us on X. We are, of course, at BFM, <coughs> at BFM Radio. Now, to reveal a little bit more about this report and get into some of the insights, it is Sanjay Sidhu, the Executive Director of Advisory at BDO. Sanjay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rich. Good afternoon. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here on this Friday. Pleasure to be here. Thank uh, you for having me. Big plans for the weekend? Anything? Um, no, a quiet weekend. Nice, quiet Thank weekend. Absolutely. The that's only people, way to be. I think that's what people want, right? Now, okay, um, what would you say then are, is the main focus of the BDO's ASEAN Corporate Fraud Landscape 2023 report? Let's start off with a broad question. Okay. The, the main focus has been to see how the landscape has shifted. And if it has shifted, we came into 2023 or even the tail end of 2022 expecting there to be some change because of the way businesses have had to change and evolve how they do business Mm. uh, through COVID and the immediate post-COVID periods. Mm. So we wanted to look at, we had some theories, but we wanted to have a better feel for 
the incidence of fraud, the type of fraud, the average size of fraud, or even the complexity of the schemes perpetrated by fraudsters, we wanted to see if that had changed in line with the expectations that we had or, or the theoretical approach that we had mm-hmm. taken. And that was certainly the thrust of it. So the key elements you mentioned earlier um, were all areas that we, we covered. And we then wanted to put that data for 2023 up against the data that had been collected earlier. Um to see what it told us. Mm. And, and I guess we will be looking at uh, how things uh, we will did indeed. evolve or not now. We will indeed. Okay, mm. then. So what are the key insights in, into the fraud landscape in the region? And in the mm. co- context of the post-COVID-19 mm-hmm. normalcy, um, what are the significant findings regarding this evolving fraud risk in the ASEAN region? There are a couple of things. And the, the overall observation here is the landscape did shift. It did shift, and it shifted in the way that we expected it to, and that's shown up in the data. So the type of fraud perpetrated hasn't changed, but the, the, the... components of it have the different the mix of the different types of fraud has changed so asset misappropriation and procurement fraud have actually overtaken cyber related fraud in Uh the period that we looked at cyber fraud hasn't reduced in any shape or form it's still there it's still very pervasive it is still something that corporations need to be well aware of but um other types of fraud have overtaken it in terms of incidence or frequency um, there have been more incidences of fraud. As you mentioned earlier, 20% of our respondents this, this time around have experienced some kind of fraud as opposed to 8% previously. Mm. That's an almost threefold jump. That's a, it's, it's not a small jump. It's it? not. It's not at all. It's a big jump. The flip side of this is that we've seen that the length of fraud, the longevity of fraud has come down significantly with the larger population of fraud incidences lasting 12 months or less. Why do you think that is? Um, I think it's because, and again, in line with, with our expectations, it's what we call or what I call opportunistic fraud. Right. Right? Um, businesses have changed, particularly in the post-COVID environment. Um, people have been working remotely. We're using digital means or we're misusing digital means, um, sometimes purposely and sometimes by accident. Um, and what that has done is it's given opportunity for let me call it the less sophisticated fraudster to find an opportunity to make a quick buck. Mm, mm. Literally, that mm. that's what it appears to be. Mm. So we see frauds, and, and these are in our findings, we see smaller frauds. Um, the, the average size has dropped to well below a million dollars. We see shorter frauds because they're opportunistic. They take up to 12 months. Um, um, and we see frauds perpetrated by smaller numbers of people. Uh, So there has been an increase in the number of frauds reported that involved only one person. Typically, to execute fraud in a well-organized corporate environment, some form of collusion is required. That's two, three, four, five people. And we did see that in our earlier data. I think Mm -hmm. the average fraud back in 21 involved between three and five people. Mm. But we are seeing a jump in the number of frauds perpetrated by one person only because they have the ability to right now. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, the report, of course, does mention cybersecurity fraud as a pervasive threat. Um, Can you elaborate on the challenges and trends highlighted in that aspect? Sure. Um, There are a number of key challenges. The first one is we're all doing more electronically. Yeah. Right. We're doing more. We're expecting to do more electronically. But I think our collective knowledge of how to protect ourselves has not evolved in line with that. I'll give you a good example. Um, 
quite a lump, quite a, a number of people are approving documents by copying and pasting a digital signature, and if they're doing it into a PDF and then um, flattening the PDF is the term that that, that we use uh, to embed the signature. Well and good, mm. but I have seen documents flying around in PDFs that are not flattened. Mm, mm. Um, I have seen signatures flying around in Word documents which are eminently editable. So we're trying to do things differently rightfully or wrongly, but we've not thought carefully about how we're doing it, and that's one of the key pervasive threats. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other one is the focus of the push for expediency, and it goes to what I mentioned earlier. There is also the cost, the cost involved in getting the right hardware, the right software, getting the right person or people in to do vulnerability assessments and penetration testing. It's difficult. Mm. It can be expensive, and again, in this current environment, cost control is a concern for everybody. Mm. There is pressure to, to make more money, to do more with less, and some things will fall by the wayside, unfortunately too often. Yeah. The final thing, so the, the, the final thing is this, the world of cybersecurity is reactionary. We are always reacting to something new that the attacker has found. Because you can't predict it all. Because you can't predict it. And that's the key thing. Mm. That's something that everyone needs to keep in mind, mm. that you're always going to be reacting mm. and you need to be able to identify and react quick enough. I mean, and th there is something to be said about, you know, educating people as well. I mean, you, the whole thing about the Word document versus the PDF document and the signatures <clears> in there, <throat> that is something I see regularly, you know, and, and yes. I, I deal with this on a, almost daily basis mm -hmm. um, for clients that I work with one way or another, and I'm constantly reminding them to make it into a PDF and to flatten that document. And Absolutely. It, it just, Absolutely. I, I feel tired of saying it sometimes, but it's, right. a, it's a really simple mm -hmm. solution that can avoid it, so many problems. It is. There's another simple solution, and, and that is um, have your signature in, in, in a TIFF file yeah. with no background, and when you put it on the PDF, make sure a part of your signature crosses a line or some other text because then it cannot be copied yeah. and pasted onto another document without lifting some other piece of the original document on it. Yeah. And that's key because even with a flattened PDF, you can still screenshot a signature yeah. and put it elsewhere. Yeah. So you've got to find a way of watermarking it or blocking it off. Mm. And of course, the final solution is to use proper digital signatures yeah, yeah. rather than rather than a, a copy and paste. Okay, la last question before we take it, we, we're going to break now. In, um, in terms of asset misappropriation mm -hmm. and procurement fraud, mm -hmm. um, what are the shifts identified there? Um, asset misappropriation, which is basically someone simply taking away something that didn't belong to them, that's jumped from 5% of incidences reported to 25%. My that's word. a five-fold jump. Procurement fraud has actually fallen in incidents ever so slightly, but it now remains more prevalent than, than cyber fraud, just a little bit. Okay, What's notable about these is that they tend to be simpler schemes. And that goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Mm. It's, these are schemes... Uh, that would be easier for one person or two people to perpetrate. And if you think about it and extend it to what we were talking about, PDFs, electronic documents flying yeah. around, the ability to fiddle with them, for want of a better word, it makes it easier for one person to do on a small scale that is harder to notice um, until it builds up. Mm. And often by that time, they're done. They've mm. taken their piece and they've moved on. Mm. 
Okay, we need to take a short break here. Uh, folks, this is Enterprise BizBytes. Of course, my name is Rich Bradbury. Exactly one month ago, uh, the global advisory firm BDO PLT released the ASEAN Corporate Fraud Landscape 2023 report, uh, providing a detailed analysis of the current fraud landscape in the region. Helping me break that down is Sanjay Sidhu, the Executive Director of Advisory over at BDO. If you have any questions regarding this, uh, get in touch via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number, 018-789-8899. We are on X at BFM radio keep it locked on to bfm 89.9 busy following money trail bfm 89.9 welcome back to enterprise biz bites my name is rich bradbury joining me here in the studio is sanjay sidhu uh, revealing more about the report and insights uh, of of course the uh, bdo plt uh, asean corporate fraud landscape 2023 report he's helping me break it down a little bit just before the break, we ended on uh, terms of asset misappropriation and procurement fraud. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit about some of the key statistics, um, Sanjay. What are the key statistics on the percentage of organizations reporting being victims of fraud mm-hmm. and the percentage actively employing data analytics mechanisms for fraud detection? Okay. Um, the... <clears throat> The number or the proportion of companies that have reported this time around that they've been victims of fraud is about 20% mm. of, of our respondents. That compares to 8% in 2021-22. In and that's an almost threefold increase. Mm, mm. That is significant. Um, as you pointed out earlier, um, only about 5% of our respondents are employing data analytics as a for fraud preventive measure. Um, and this is telling. It, you know, we're trying to do more electronically. Business is trying to do more electronically, which means that we are collecting the data that could be used. The question now becomes, why isn't it being used, right? Is it a cost issue? Is it a skill issue? Is it an awareness issue that, hey, we have data, why don't we use it? Yeah, why are we not using it? Why don't we use it? Um, And that remains to be delved into. Mm. Um, So 15% of organizations, however, are using continuous auditing of some sort. Now, we've separated that from data analytics because data analytics is a very specific thing. Download a chunk of data, do some querying on it. Um, Continuous auditing is where transactions are monitored as they happen Mm -hmm. to raise red flags. So there is a form of automation, but it's still nowhere near as high as we would expect it to be, given the extent to which we trade and Mm. record stuff electronically Mm. in this day and age. I mean, surely it's a good thing that you're seeing that threefold increase in, in companies, you know, coming forward, right? It is. Uh, to some extent, it is. It yeah. it means that they have no choice but to wake up and, and, and That's what face I was the music, yeah, exactly. so to speak. Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Now, um, let's talk about how well-prepared organizations in the Asian region believe they are to prevent, detect, and deter, uh, deter fraud. I mean, perception is not often reality, mm-hmm. is it really? Indeed, indeed. Um, a vast majority, I think almost 50% of our respondents believe that they are prepared. They are prepared to prevent fraud. They are prepared to detect fraud in mm. some shape or form. Um, and most of them, however, have relatively straightforward or relatively simple means of doing so. They have a code of conduct. They have policies and procedures in place. They have control environments in place. But one of the telling things that we've identified from the survey, again, is a relatively small number of organizations that perform some form of organized risk assessment mm. on a periodic basis. Mm. And again, that's telling. It Again, it it 
supports some of the other information we've seen in terms of the incidence of fraud, mm. the number of organizations that have had fraud perpetrated against them, because irregular risk assessment will tell you when your landscape has changed. Right. It will then tell you how your processes and your controls need to evolve along with that landscape change. Mm -hmm. And that's where the gaps get plugged, mm -hmm. so to speak. And with organizations not doing that often enough, um, that has an immediate impact on that jump from 8% to 20% that mm. we talked off a minute ago. Mm. Now, there has been a notable increase in fraud cases with losses under a million dollars. What do you think is the reason behind that increase? And, and how significant is it compared to previous years? You, you kind of briefly touched on it, but can you just broaden it down a little for us? Yeah, the, the, the increase is huge uh, in, in a percentage sense. Right? The, the, the number of frauds that were that caused losses of under a million dollars has jumped from 10% two years ago to 45% of cases just now. It's also telling there are no cases reported this time around of over 10 million dollars. Okay? And that again ties in with what I spoke of earlier, the smaller, more opportunistic fraud. Um, it's an indication of simpler, shorter-lived schemes as people take the opportunities or they capitalize on opportunities that are presented to them to meet an immediate need. Could you give me, an, or our listeners, an example perhaps of, mm. of that kind of fraud? Or of the kind of modus operandi behind that kind of thing? Um, typically, they involve, they involve um, the, the, the creation or modification of documents that allows small amounts of money to be skimmed off a particular Got transaction or for there to appear to have been a service or goods delivered when in fact they haven't um, and, and perhaps an, an invoice that has been doctored or, or even a completely fabricated invoice that's been slit in uh, that then gets paid. And of course, the accounting team just sees that. They go, okay, let's just pay that. It's only a small right. amount. It's no big deal. To some extent, there's that. To some extent, there's the ability. We talked about signatures to place signatures mm -hmm. on them, email it across. The accounting team sees what they're looking for mm -hmm. without necessarily questioning it, and they go ahead and make make the, the, the payments in the various entries. Mm. Now, the flip side of that is that goods and services have not been received, which means that at some point, if the monitoring controls are in place, something's going to go amiss, right? right? The yeah. beauty of double entry accounting is that something will pop up somewhere. And that's where we're talking about these shorter schemes. Mm -hmm. The fraudsters are done and dusted by the time people get around to doing their monitoring controls right. and saying, hey, something's gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, Okay, I've got a couple more questions before I let you go. Um, what percentage of these respondents then indicated the presence of a formal uh, whistleblowing mechanism? We did touch on that. Mm -hmm. And um, how, I guess, how important is it um, for whistleblowing channels to exist, I guess? And how important are they mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to identifying fraud? Yeah, um, Because you know, whistleblowing... Depending on who you talk to, yep. is either a blessing or a curse. You know. Yes, it is. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so let, let's break this down. So, fifty-three percent of our respondents, so just over half, reported that they have a whistleblowing mechanism mm -hmm. of some form. Um, Twenty percent of them use an external provider. Um, we are an external provider, um, and that's up from about five percent. So that's a fourfold increase, and it goes to your point, Rich, about they can be a blessing as well as a curse. Yeah. And, and that is you hand it over to someone else to take the legwork out of the axe grinding type of yeah. complaint from the real complaint. Yeah. Right. So that 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 
is demonstrated in the increase we see. 70% of organizations still use an internally run whistleblowing mechanism, and that's a slight increase from before. But what it does is it generates an increased expectation that employees will use the channels, mm. rightly or wrongly. That said, I think getting people to be comfortable with using the channel is a key thing. It does have, it does have an impact on, on, on identifying fraud, yes. and that's shown up in the whistleblowing section of our report. We delved into this a bit deeper and had some very interesting findings. Key among them was that respondents who had hotlines were more aware of fraud events. They were aware of them more quickly. They dealt with them more quickly. And for 58% of our respondents who had um, whistleblowing mechanisms in place, they dealt with them within 12 months, as opposed to 10% of respondents um, who didn't have mm. whistle, uh, whistleblowing mechanisms. Losses were also lower. So with whistleblowing mechanisms in place, 60% of events were under $100,000 versus 7% for where there was no whistleblowing. Right, right, right. A final key thing is this. We found a really odd result, and that is where whistleblowing mechanisms were used, approximately 25% of, of employees use them, and approximately 25% of employees reporting fraud used some other mechanism to report them. Now, this sounds really odd, but I think there is a great takeaway here when you step back, and that is this. Where management of an organization has put in a whistleblowing mechanism and has made all the pronouncements, we believe in ethics, we believe in, in doing the right thing, we believe in raising our hand if we see something wrong, and to demonstrate that, we're putting in a mechanism. What it's done is it's set the tone from the top that yeah. management is serious, yeah. and it's also set the tone that we will listen to you. And what that does is it empowers people to speak up. Yeah. So I'm going to get less hung up on the mechanism that the employee used and focus more on the fact that if you have a whistleblowing mechanism, your trading partners, your employees are going to feel safer and more empowered mm. to raise their hand mm. because they feel that you're going to do something about it. Right. So whether they use your channel or not, they're somehow going to get that information to you. And I think that is absolutely fantastic. Because we have seen in, in the past, you know, people who want to whistleblow just not coming forward for, for those reasons that you've mentioned. You know, right. they're not being taken seriously. They're worried about what would happen if they do come forward and say something. Is their job safe? Is their career safe? Is their pension safe? All of mm. these things that they could potentially right. lose by coming forward, correct? Right. Or is anything even going to get done about it? Yeah. Right. yeah. So mm -hmm. there's no point coming forward is, is what they're saying. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess uh, my final question then is, um, what would you say are some of the recommendations mentioned in the report and how can organizations enhance their fraud prevention measures? And what role do regular risk assessments, communication and training play into this context? Sure. Um, right. So we, we have five key recommendations at a high level. Uh, the first one is to strengthen, strengthen control environments and the control mechanisms that are in place, basically internal control measures. The second one is to perform regular risk assessments, and we'll come back to that in a second. Um, perform regular assessments of systems and controls to make sure they're still fit for purpose. Mm. Training staff in an organized manner and in a sustained manner because as things change, as your landscape evolves, as your control environment involves, evolves, you need to ensure that your people's mindset evolves on how they need to change the way uh, they do alongside, things. Alongside. Right? Alongside, yeah. right. It's people, process, and technology. Yeah. You've, they've all got to evolve hand in hand, right? And then finally, it's remaining vigilant to the environment or the landscape. Now, that's kind of 
two recommendations for the price of one because the re- the remaining vigilant and the performing of regular risk assessments, they go hand in hand and they're absolutely key. Performing risk assessments will tell you what's changed. It will tell you my landscape's changed, my environment's changed, something has changed in the way I do things and it then triggers the, tr- the thought process mm. or it should trigger the thought process. Does the way I do it now need to change Mm. or evolve? Mm. Am I doing too much? Am I doing too little? Am I doing something that I should do differently? And that's how we have evolution of a control environment or a set of designs of specific controls to ensure these new risks are addressed. Mm. So that's absolutely key because it's the risk assessment that starts the thought process. What's changed? How do I need to change? And will I still be safe Mm. if I make those changes? Mm. So that's absolutely critical. And without that, we will plow on as before um, and often potentially realize that something's gone wrong well after it has gone wrong and cost us quite a lot of money. And it's too late then. Yes, indeed. Sanjay, that was brilliant. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Rich. Folks, um, if you missed any part of this podcast, uh, I do, uh, sorry, any part of this show, I do recommend you go and listen back to the podcast when it's up in just a few minutes, of course. Um, I suggest you listen to it on the BFM app. That's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. Uh, On behalf of myself and Sanjay, we're going to say good afternoon for today at BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.